Welcome to episode 29 of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lando, and our producer, Keys. Matt is, unfortunately, on vacation this week. But we've got a great show for you guys today, and we have some great mailbag questions, our classic pour one out, cut them off segment, and a very special interview with our new friend and Hawks expert, Christian Salvador of the Squawk Talk podcast and Sports Talk ATL. Hope you guys enjoy. Today we have with us Christian Salvador, co-host of the Squawk Talk podcast and Atlanta Hawks writer for Sports Talk ATL. How are you doing, Christian? I'm good, guys. I'm good, guys. Happy to be on. Uh, you know, definitely uh, been, a, been a fun experience for me so far. My first year uh, kind of doing this and, and talking about the Hawks. Obviously, it's a pretty good time to get started on that. So before we get into it, why don't you tell us kind of what your gig is like uh, over at the Squawk Talk and also for Sports Talk ATL? Uh, yeah, I got a uh, I got a cool opportunity. I, re- I reached out to them, um, you know, uh, a, a few months ago, just trying to get my foot in the door and, and get started and in, uh, in the industry in the world of just cutting up and talking about sports. And uh, sure enough, they were gracious enough to give me a shot. Uh, I've enjoyed it so far. I mainly just, you know, write, talk about the Hawks. And uh, and that, that's pretty much it. You know, nothing, nothing too intense. Just uh, writing about a fun basketball team and talking about it when I get a chance. How often do y'all do shows, Christian? Right now, uh, I think we've We've only done, I believe, six. So you're just getting started. Uh, we we just got this on the ground, uh, you know, off the ground. We started uh, first week of the playoffs, um, and we've been kind of doing uh, at least once a week. Couple, we've we've gone a couple twice a week. We got one coming up uh, here soon. Obviously, going to get into this Buck series, but uh, but yeah, not too often. Um, you know, we spend most of our time writing, and uh, we get on the pod whenever we get a shot. Nice man. Of course, you mentioned the Buck series. Huge win for the Atlanta Hawks last night. That didn't come with some drama. Uh, as we all saw, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I didn't butcher his name. Giannis went down with a <laughs> with a knee injury. Um, was there any? Is it, have you guys heard any word on Giannis's knee injury? By the way, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wash came out today, and actually, weird enough, him and Zach Lowe both at the same time tweeted the the basically exact same tweet, um, coming out and saying that uh that there was no structural damage, which was good news for Giannis and the Bucks, obviously. Uh, it's a hyperextended knee and that he is uh, questionable for the next game, but nothing long term. Uh, so, you know, definitely, definitely good news around the NBA. But uh, but yeah, definitely questionable to, to play in the next game. Have you heard anything, uh, anything new on Trey Young's foot? I have heard that he is still just in a lot of pain. Uh, you know, it, it was unfortunate, you know, going into the game. Most of Hawks Nation, uh, myself included, <laughs> pretty disappointed when 30 minutes before tip off and probably the biggest game in the the history of the franchise since moving to Atlanta, frankly, and the best player, the guy who got him there, uh, can't make it. So, you know, it, it stinks. Um, nothing's changed uh, from my understanding uh, since game four. Uh, you know, it's a pain tolerance thing, and there's there's not a lot of worry, uh, you know, about him re-injuring it. But at the end of the day, if he can't get out there and run and jump and do the kind of stuff that Trey does, then it's going to be tough to see him get back out there. So, no, uh, in short, but hopefully a couple days of rest uh, ends up changing that. You know, I know I'm not the only one who who kind of felt this way last night, but going into the game when I saw that Trey was going to be out, I was I was worried, but I also had the feeling that the Bucks, once they saw that news, they were going to kind of come out into the game and kind of just 
be like, oh, Trey Young's not playing today. We can just kind of go out here and not really care. And the Hawks aren't going to come out and, and play inspired. And the Hawks came out and played some inspired ball. And I was I was very, very impressed. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have similar feelings, you know, about about the team going in. I was uh, I was nervously optimistic. Um, you know, you're never a better team when your best player goes down. That's that's pretty obvious. However, the Hawks are kind of uniquely built to uh, to deal with the absence of Trey Young. A lot of that has to do with the presence of Lou Williams. He comes in midseason. He does a lot of the stuff pretty similar to Trey, and uh, it's really interesting. It was a great it was a great pickup. He had a great night last night. I think he had six points going into the game in the series <laughs> last night. And he drops twenty one. So uh, yeah, man, they played some ball. I don't know if y'all got a chance to read what John put in the Players Tribune. Uh, John Collins put in the Players Tribune. That was an incredible article, kind of just going into what makes this uh, this Hawks team tick and. They're a tough group, man. And even without their best player, uh, you know, they missed DeAndre Hunter for this series as well. Uh, last series, that series too. And uh, they just come out and fight, man. They, if, if five guys can be on the court in a Hawks uniform, you can you can go ahead and uh, guarantee that they're going to compete. Most definitely. I think the, the, the big story from last night, though, was uh, Cam Reddish playing a huge role in kind of – Cam fam. You know, shutting down uh, Middleton and, and – um, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, that's right. Yeah, shutting down Drew Holiday. I, 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 I was talking to Witten Keys. Why hasn't he really been getting some more minutes here in the, in the, the early parts of this series? Yeah, uh, you know, I actually, uh, you know, day before, you know, not going to take too much credit for it, but uh, but I put out a quick article asking the same question, you know, essentially saying, you know, we need to see Cam Reddish. The Knicks series, there was never a chance. It doesn't seem like during the, uh, during the Sixers series there was ever a chance. He kind of had a strange road to get to here. He one night, I think it was in December, January, he just kind of missed a game. And it was kind of out of nowhere. No one really batted an eye at it. Oh, he just needs some rest. And then it was two games and three and four and five and six. And it just kind of snowballed. Uh, he obviously was dealing with something that Achilles. The team was overly cautious, as they should be with a 20 year old guy that is still growing. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but uh, I think Cam Reddish got taller <laughs> since he's been out as well. But. Yeah, uh, I think it's just a health thing, and they finally felt like they got him enough time on the court and playing, and he went out there, and, and, and he did what Cam can do. He defended well. He hit a couple of highlight threes. He lost the ball on a dribble a couple times, and I'm sure frustrated people earlier in the game, but, man, uh, he's an exciting player, and uh, and it was good to see him actually get out there and play healthy again. Yeah, I was definitely excited to see him play. Um, I don't know about you, but I think that losing DeAndre Hunter early on in the postseason has hurt us pretty bad defensively. Do you think that's been a pretty big loss for us? Oh, I mean, without a doubt, you said it there. I think a lot of the attention, just because it's the NBA and sports in general, are all about points, 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 and people start to forget about the defensive end of the ball, this uh, defensive end of the court. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been massive. It's not crazy to say that uh, before he went down early in the season, that DeAndre Hunter was the Hawks' best player. Now, there's no question that Trey Young, over the course of a full season, and in general, it's the better player. But through 20 games, and the Hawks were 10 and nine, and, and looked okay. Uh, to start off, even with Lloyd Pierce as the head coach, DeAndre Hunter was out there crushing. You don't see guys with this combination of size and skill come along in the NBA often, and you saw it in the first round of the, of the Knicks series, in the first round of the playoffs, um, when he took task of taking on All-NBA uh, Julius Randle, and he put him to work. I mean, Randle had about as bad of a stretch of games as you can imagine, and that was in large part due to the play of DeAndre Hunter. So, you know, it's, of course, a bummer not seeing a guy like that. Uh, you'd love to see him get that assignment on Middleton, Giannis, whoever, whoever it is, and um, but you know, you can't control injuries. All you can do is, uh, all you can do is respond to them with the next man up. And I think the Hawks have done a pretty good job of replacing his production. Uh, even if, you know, it'd be a lot better off with him on the court. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish have really kind of broken out this year, um, especially helping out on defense. I think there's a lot of guys on the Hawks that are kind of younger players that uh, Travis Schlink drafted. I think he's done a really good job. Who is somebody that stands out to you besides Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter? who's kind of a younger player who's really stepped up in the postseason. Ooh, okay, perfect. I've, I've been waiting just to yell and scream and, and, and rave about Anyeka Kongwu. Uh, I mean, before Giannis goes down, uh, he's obviously one of the best players in the world. He's the two-time MVP. He's about as scary of a human as you can have on a basketball court. And uh, it turns out that uh, rookie Anyeka Kongwu didn't care. <laughs> he got out there. He did a great job. He limited Giannis. He, he got the ball stole. He stole the ball from Giannis a couple times uh, throughout the series. I thought he's done a phenomenal job. But, again, he's a rookie. He's played just a little over 40 games, I believe. And, um, you know, again, he's on the biggest stage that you would ever ask a basketball player to be in, much less a rookie, and he's really showing out. I can't say enough about him. Kevin Herter as well. He's in his second – he's in his third year, obviously, uh, drafted in the same class as Trey Young. And uh, he has made – he's made himself a pretty decent amount of money. Everybody remembers the Kayvon game, uh, game seven, you know, against Philly where he comes out, drops 27 points, carries the Hawks to a game seven victory. If you'd have told me three years ago that uh, that Kevin Herter was, was going to do that in Philly, uh, you know, in the seventh game of the series, I wouldn't have been shocked, but I definitely, you know, would have said you're a little crazy. So it's definitely been incredible to see this young group. But those two specifically, I think, stand out from that group of youngins. Now, one thing I kind of noticed that I was I was kind of optimistic about with Trey missing game four was it seemed like Trey was really just kind of launching a lot from the logo. You know, not really letting the Hawks capitalize on offensive possessions because of that. It kind of just seemed like he was ripping way too many, in my opinion. And and I was kind of thinking maybe without Trey there, you can capitalize on some of those offensive possessions, get two points every once in a while instead of just tanking a three and then not setting up well on defense. You know, what is uh, what is your opinion on Trey launching deep balls? You know, definitely, definitely can be controversial. There are there are certainly possessions. You know, obviously, when it's a miss. Gets that long rebound, kind of the run out. The Bucks had some fast break points in this series, and Philly hurt him a couple times. Ultimately, you know, you can't have Trey Young and the Trey Young experience without them. Frankly, you know, you go back to the to the Philly series, you go back to game, uh, I believe it was game six, and you know, Trey Young hits that pretty nasty crossover and and shoots it over Ben Simmons and drills a three from twenty nine feet that ends up being the dagger in the game and. You know, again, sorry, that's game seven, not game six. You know, Trey Young is a guy who doesn't lack confidence. And, you know, from a, from a scheme standpoint, the deep three, you know, it does, it does serve a purpose beyond just the shot itself. If Trey's going to take that shot, defenses have to respect it. If they have to respect it, they have to play so far out that it opens up the floater game. It opens up pick and roll. It opens him passing lanes to other guys. So, you know, while it definitely can be a, be a head-scratchingly frustrating shot at times, uh, it definitely serves its purpose. I think he could pick and choose uh, slightly better, but I'm I'm never gonna you know get get too upset at a guy like Trey Young searching for his shot when ultimately he's going to be the best shot creator the Hawks have, and he's going to be the best shot creator that most teams in the NBA have. So I definitely see that, and it, and it can be frustrating at times, but um, but ultimately you know you got to let that guy get out there and cook. And he does make him more than most people do. Oh, he absolutely does. Yeah, I mean you look at guys like Damian Lillard, Stephen Curry, they shoot an incredible percentage. Those are about the only two that. That uh that hit it at the same same rate as he does. So uh so yeah, he was going from like six threes a game in the regular season to nine in the postseason. So he's definitely gotten that shot up some more. But uh but yeah, I mean if he's gonna hit it, he hits it just enough to make the defense respect it. So I'm not gonna get too worked up about it. But I understand being. So I think that with Giannis out, 
the tide swings into the Hawks' favor. I think the Hawks are a more well-built team than the Bucks when they don't have Giannis, because Giannis is just that that factor, that that big piece. Of course, MVP uh, caliber player that it's hard to shut down. But when he's not on the court, the team is just not what they they are when he is on the court. They're they're not really a Eastern Conference Finals type team. Do you feel that same way? Yeah, I think. Um... I think, frankly, if you if you ask the Hawks, if you put truth serum uh, to most Hawks fans, they would tell you that both stars missing the game, missing a game in general, uh, benefits the Hawks. You know, the Bucks, uh, their depth issues are really showing. With Dante DiVincenzo getting hurt at the beginning of the get, beginning of the postseason, and now with Giannis going down, potentially missing at least one game, uh, you know, possibly the rest of the series. They don't have a lot of options. I mean, you're looking at Pat Connaughton playing close to 40 minutes. You're looking at a guy, you know, like Bobby Portis, maybe even having to share the court with Brooke Lopez. And, yeah, I mean, you know, Giannis going down, it's it's never going to be, you know, beneficial to your team. But especially with the way the Bucks are built, you know, probably more uniquely so than any other team in the NBA, any other team left at this stage anyways, they rely on their superstar. The Hawks need Trey Young to be a great team. But as we saw yesterday, they can survive without him. I don't think the Bucks can survive without Giannis. He he's kind of the the straw that stirs the drink over there. Everything they do runs through him. So, uh, yeah, I think you're 100 percent on the money there. That uh, that without Giannis, the Bucks are you know a borderline playoff team, and and we're definitely seeing it. So uh, the Bucks are going to be hoping that he can fight through it and do whatever he can. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be too optimistic about the Bucks' chances if he can't get back out there and suit up. The Hawks crowd in Phillips Arena has played a huge role in in how Giannis has played. When they uh, count down, when he's trying to shoot free throws, I, I think they've actually gotten into his head. Like when he when he's shooting the ball, because the game yesterday he shot three air balls, uh, two from the free throw line and then one from deep, and that's just not you know mechanics. That's that's you know the fans getting into your head, making you think about what you're doing. You don't you don't struggle that much at the line without there being something going on in your head. Uh, look, he's no Ben Simmons. No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, that Hawks crowd, uh, they were out of control. I went to uh, I was at game three. I, I couldn't make it to game four, um, but I was at game three. And, you know, hearing the crowd actually count out the seconds when he's at the free throw line is a pretty uh, is a pretty incredible experience. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's definitely struggling at the line. He, he's doing about as poor of a job as you would ask. And as much as he has the ball and as much as he's going to get fouled, it, it definitely is something that hurts. But. Yeah, ultimately, the the crowd over there, man, you can't say enough about that, about that Atlanta crowd. A lot of people were skeptical about them and, and worried that some opposing fans might uh, might take over the take over the arena. But they've done everything they can and, and been one of, if not the best crowd left in the playoffs. Atlanta may have some fair weather fans, but when the weather's good, there's some pretty incredible <laughs> fans in Atlanta. Absolutely. Yeah. We're starved, man. We're starved. Before you go, what are your major keys for how the Hawks can close out the series and capitalize on their last win. No, I, I think I think a big one is going to be focusing on continuing to force Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday into isolation, into deep pull-up twos, pull-up threes, and not letting them get downhill. You saw it a lot in, in games two and three, especially where the Hawks' point of attack defense was just bad. Uh, you know, without Cam Reddish on the court, outside of Kevin Herter and you know Bogdanovich is coming around, but he still is a little hobbly. Uh, the Hawks don't have a lot of guys that just straight up stop you when you're driving downhill. So if you want to get downhill and get to that layup, get to the floater game, the Hawks pretty much let you uh, for the most part. Now you got to deal with Clint Capella once you get there. 
But, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, continuing to play sound defense. If the Bucks don't have Giannis, they're going to have to make jumpers. It's going to be tough for them to pressure the rim. And the Hawks are going to have to do a real good job of not letting Chris Middleton and, uh, and Drew Holiday, you know, do what they did in, in game three. Chris Middleton ends up dropping, I think, a million points in the fourth quarter of, of game three. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, continue to just play sound defense. And, uh, and I think a lot of it comes down on the offensive end to, you know, the health of Trey Young. If Trey Young's out there, I don't have any questions about the offense. They're going to score points. He's, he's that incredible. But if he can't go, they're going to have to continue to get good production out of guys like Bajanovic and Williams. They've been both pretty streaky during this playoffs. You know, Bajanovic is mainly health and lose obviously 34 years old. But you need one, uh, but especially both of those guys to, to pick up the slack if Trey Young can't go. So I would watch, uh, you know, again, I'd watch for the Hawks to just continue to play well on the Bucks stars and, um, you know, on the offensive end. Find good shots, find good looks, get Lou Williams to his floater, uh, and and you know continue to uh, continue to do what they're doing. I thought a lot of what Nate did in Game Four is kind of the recipe for success. Get downhill, throwing lobs at the Capella, making jump shots. It's never a bad thing when you're hitting shots. So uh, yeah, just continue to play strong, play together. That team is uh, that team. It's a good basketball team here in Atlanta, and it's a fun time to be rooting for them. All right, Christian. Well, thanks for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you letting me come on, guys, man. I, uh, I definitely, uh, definitely glad to get on here and cut up about the Hawks and uh, look forward to doing this again sometime. Absolutely, man. Thanks for coming on. That was a great interview with Christian Salvador. Y'all be sure to check him out on Squawk Talk and at Sports Talk ATL. Um, and check him out on Twitter. He's a really good guy. Glad we got to have him on. Um, we're about to get into our mailbag, but before we do... Guys, let's talk about how the NCAA just approved the image and likeness. College athletes will now be able to benefit from their name starting on Thursday. What do y'all think about that? Well, I think it was only a matter of time before Absolutely. players were able to make a little money off of their name and likeness. You know, the NCAA is going to take a huge hit from this because at this point, the players aren't going to be what the NCAA considers them amateur athletes anymore because they're going to be making profit off of their name and name and likeness and image and stuff of that nature. So I think there's going to be a lot more to come from this. I think players are going to end up making a lot more money than what the NCAA thinks they're going to end up making. I'm just happy that there's a chance that we just might get back NCAA football, the video game. Last I heard, it was confirmed that we were getting the game back. So... That's definitely that's definitely a plus. Um, what's going to be rough is if we do get the game back and they use people's last names and players are able to profit off of it. There's probably going to be some players, some of the players that aren't going to profit as much who will be like, no, I don't want my name in it. So they might not be in there. So we might have guys like, you know, like random like Georgia football players here and there who don't want their name in it because they're not going to profit off of it. So they're like, oh, I don't want my name in something I'm not going to profit off of. Well, that's what that's what I was wondering is because I think the original plan when they decided they were going to bring the game back was maybe to just use generic players. With this news, you know, now you can start to, I guess, kind of pick and choose some of the players that you want to pay to be in the game. It'll be really interesting to see how the business of college athletics changes from this for sure. I'm already seeing it from some of the comments on Twitter. The biggest issue I think is going to arise from this will be the pay gap between men's athletics and women's cool. athletics. Because we've already seen with the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament from, from men's and, and women's, the, the difference between what the men got and what the women got. With this new bill that they passed, I think it's going to be more of the same. But we have to realize that it's not because 
administrators or or people who who run these schools it's not because they want it that way it's just because of what brings in money you know and money is going to end up driving this i think it's still going to be a complete mess in terms of the pay gap oh for sure it's it's going to be a massive mess because of the pay gap and honestly not even just men's and women's sports but look at football and every other sport i mean look at what this off season during covid or last off season during covid with everything how much people were freaking out because they could get by with not having spring sports. But when everybody thought that they weren't going to have football, teams were just canceling sports altogether. Like Stanford, I think, gave up like women's tennis. They had to give up some kind of soccer team, I think, too. Um, I mean, there's tons of schools that had to do that exact same thing because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 originally canceled football. And even even just losing half of those games was a massive revenue loss. Uh, for the for the athletic programs in general, because a lot of times these football programs make so much money that they fund the rest of the athletic programs because those athletic programs don't bring in money at all. Because most of the I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I've never paid to go to an athletic sporting event that wasn't a football game. Yeah, I also think that recruiting is going to also change in this instance as well, because where are these 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 uh, players going to want to go play now? Players are probably going to want to go to these Alabamas or Clemsons or Georgias even more because they're going to get on TV. You can make more money from your, your from your name and likeness because you're going to be on TV more. Yeah, you can be the best player on a Sunbelt team. You could be Grayson McCall. If you're on the Sunbelt network, you're not getting on TV. You might get an ESPNU game. Nobody's going to sign you to any TV deals because they're not going to know who you are because they're not watching you on TV. And like that, we've brought up 600 issues that this could potentially cause. But you know what? There's one bright spot, NCAA football, the video game, and it's going to be awesome. If I can get one more road to glory with Whit Barfield number 10 for the Georgia Bulldogs after coming from behind as a walk-on, a four-string quarterback, taking over as a starter by the end of the year, probably for JT Daniels, that's all that will matter to me. You know, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I honestly don't really care about this bill being passed because one, I'm not a college athlete. The only time I'm gonna end up caring about this is if I'm blessed enough to have either a son or a daughter, and they are athletically gifted enough to play college sports. Then I'll start caring about this bill. But hopefully, everything is ironed out by that time. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our mailbag. We got a couple questions from Nathan. Uh, our first one is: Will Power Five teams ever go away from the NCAA and form their own league? I'll say this. If the money is there, if there's money to be made, yes, they will do it. I don't think it's actually ever going to happen. It's not like they're going to be making that much more money to leave the NCAA. I mean, the NCAA takes a lot of money from them, but it's not like like, there would be a new governing body. It wouldn't be like they would just jump out from the NCAA and then have their own league and then them themselves would run their own league. It would be them like forming their own conference or maybe even their own league that's completely separate that's ran by a new governing body that would take money from them that might would take less money from them at first but then would end up getting bigger would take more money from them and just become a whole another NCAA situation um i think that there's a good chance that they stay in the NCAA but flip D1 so it's more like the power 5 teams and more teams in bigger markets that have more of an opportunity to actually recruit players and build their programs to compete for national championships, move up into like a whole nother division from some of the other like lower group of five schools, some power five schools that shouldn't be in power five 
Um, and they kind of split it into like a like a D1 and then D2 and maybe have up to like a D5 or 6 or something just to kind of spread out the competition a little bit more than they do right now. But um, I don't think Power 5 in specifically will ever move away from the NCAA. Whether or not that would ever happen, here's why I don't want it to happen. So the teams that are already not getting in the playoff, i.e. the group of five teams, if you completely separate them from that division, because now you're at least saying you're in the division. Yeah, it's just going to wither away. Basically, they're not going to get any money. They're not going to get any funding. It's kind of like when you have the NFL, right? That's your premier league, right? And then you have the AFL, the XFL, arena football, whatever you got. It's it's there, and it may be okay for a little bit, but it withers away. XFL keeps failing. AFL failed. I want it to stay as one unit. I don't I don't want them to create a, a power conference because then you're going to destroy the, the landscape of college football. Yeah, I completely disagree with that because they wouldn't wither away because it, it's a it's a it's a college. It's a school. It's not going to go anywhere. They're going to they're going to they're going to still play the same teams that, they, that they've always been playing, except minus the the, the power five school that, that, they, that they get railed by twice a year. You know, it's already uh, split up that way now. It's it's already like it's that. Just, it's already like that. Yeah, it's, so, it's just split up into like yeah. three or four different the, divisions. Exactly. Instead of like the, five, where if they did five, they could spread it out a little bit more. Right. So they could have like like, right. like Georgia Southern. I love Georgia Southern. I went to school there. Georgia Southern will never, ever, ever be Alabama ever. or Georgia ever. or Oklahoma or any teams like that. Unless they now, get if you're looking, vastly if, lucky like, like they did with, with Florida. Caught well, them in yeah, a bad I year. Mean, they, might, they might be able to beat a team here and there, but they're not going to be – Every single year competing for national championships, winning exactly. conferences against teams that are competing for national championships. It's just not going to happen because, number one, they don't have the money for it. And number two, they're not in the market for it. But there's teams like UCF in the group of five where if they were playing teams like Alabama and Auburn and Georgia every year and actually could recruit and get the right coach in there and do really well against those teams, they have the resources to become a team like Alabama, Georgia, or Oklahoma, a team like that. So if you move them up into like a, their own division and then move teams like Georgia Southern, Georgia State, for example, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, whatever, Coastal Carolina, move all them down into their own division and let them all compete and have one team from that area win a national championship and then have all the teams up here that have the resources win a national championship, I think it'd be a lot more fun than what we have now. I'm going to debunk Keyes' theory with this one simple statement, North Dakota State. North Dakota State wins national championships. That brings in money for them. They are, they are functioning just fine. So well, let's if, look at it. Let's look at it this way too. I mean, like you, you could say like you could compare it to the NFL and say, oh, the NFL is like the main league, but then there's also like Canadian league, da 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 da, whatever, and no one really cares about them. But like, look at compare it to high school football. Like high school football, you have seven A, who has like the most students, the most pool of players to pull from. So you, there's a better chance of you having more talent, but then you have all the other divisions that have less pools of players and less resources to be a better football team competing against each other. But it doesn't like if you win a seven A title, it's really not as it's it's not it, it's pretty much the same thing as winning like a two A title. Like you're just you're the best team in your area in your division with all the other teams that have the same resources as you are. I wish you guys would have made all those really great points without me having to sound like an idiot beforehand, but. <laughs> I've been thinking uh, about that for a while. <laughs> I'll rephrase. Personal preference, I don't want FCS too. But I don't think maybe they won't wither away, but I don't want another FCS. I also think FCS is super dumb. I don't know what the, I don't know why why call it FCS? Why not have 
Division One, and then FCS is Division Two, and then Division Two is Division Three, and then have like up to like a Division Five or Six. It's just the way the championships were structured between FBS, I know, FCS. I, I know, but I think I think it's stupid. Well, <laughs> I think everybody is stupid. I think whoever made up that idea is dumb. You all know where I stand on. I I, I like the uh, NCAA basketball tournament the best, just because every team can come in. But I understand why you couldn't have you know five million teams play football for a championship. That it just wouldn't work. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. This one is favorite college offensive system. I think I know Lando's. No, you don't know my answer. Well, technically, you kind of do know my answer. Two thousand eight Oklahoma offense, the the one they ran I'm that say, year. Probably, probably either an I formation or whatever. It's quarterback under center. It was a thing of beauty because they they, they ran pretty much what we're kind of running now. Only of course, pro style football was different back in those days. But it was a it was like an air raid pro style type of offense. We ran under center. We had a fullback here and there. You know, single uh, formation with the with the running back in the backfield. It was awesome. But now we're all in this shotgun, running a ball out of shotgun. All this nonsense. I, I would be fine if if Oklahoma ran kind of more of like a pistol type deal, kind of like how Alabama. So, all right, a more modern offense that I that I like is what Alabama runs because they run more of the pistol style. It, I think you can do a lot more with that. Yeah, see, my my favorite will always be the pro style, and it's honestly just because I grew up watching Georgia run pro style. With 10 tight ends? With 10 tight ends and with, like, eight running backs that got carries every game. Yeah. yeah. Which I love. And a quarterback that can't throw the ball. That's yeah. what I like watching. But the way that college football is nowadays, you're – it's – and I think this is going to change again soon. I think it's going to get back to pro style offenses being the best offenses. But I think right now, if you don't have a spread offense, like a more modern offense like Alabama or Oklahoma – you're you're not going to win games. You're just not going to be able to keep up scoring points. So, I think the spread's the best. So I'd say it's probably my favorite right now. But I enjoy watching teams run pro style more than I enjoy the spread. Yeah, I think we also have to realize that in the NFL, uh, the hash marks are more in the center of the field. Now that's just for for TV purposes. You want to keep the game in the middle in the center of the field so it's easier to watch. But in college football, the hash marks are a lot farther out, so it's easier to spread teams out. So that's why the spread is super successful in the NCAA because you can be on the far left hash and throw a bubble screen, and you can have a really fast running back beat everybody to the corner and take one to the house. And it's a lot harder to do that in the NFL. Oh, yeah, for sure. But we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. This question is, what is y'all's most dangerous team of 2021? I think the most dangerous team... One that could potentially turn heads and kind of grow on what they did last year is Iowa State because they brought back a lot of their team. They brought back their quarterback. They brought back Brees Hall. Their defense is pretty much the same from last year, and their head coach is really good. I think Iowa State could be a scary team for anybody to play. I hate that we're going to have to play them. Uh, Probably going to have to play them twice again just like last year, but I think Iowa State is going to be a pretty scary team to watch. Yeah, Iowa State's on my list. Um, I actually think if we're talking dangerous teams, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say more of a surprise team. And I'm gonna say Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a schedule that sets up for them to be the first group of five team to make a playoff, even in a fourteen playoff, which I I think it still will be a fourteen playoff this year. And I think they have the talent and the quarterback and the coaching to actually win a playoff game. Um, I mean, I think they're if they make it, they're gonna be a four or three seeds. So they're probably going to play like Clemson or Oklahoma or Alabama. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a bold statement. I completely agree with that, but it's, they have the team to do it. Like they're a really good team. 
Desmond Ritter's a beast. Um, Luke Fickle's a fantastic coach. I'd say they're probably my surprise team. If we're talking like power five teams that might be able to upset um, top teams, Iowa State's up there. I think Ole Miss is another team that's going to be pretty dangerous. Uh, they got Matt Corral. Their offense is going to be really good. Their defense is going to be a lot better this year. Um, I'm not. I'm not putting money on them to win the SEC at all. I still think Georgia and Alabama, um, and probably Texas A&M is another team. I think it's going to be really good. I think they're all going to be better than Ole Miss, but they're a team to watch out for. That's for sure. I'm curious to see what Texas A&M is going to look like without Kellen Mond. Honestly, they bring back everybody from last year, like defense. Defense, offense, everything. The only person they lose is Kellen Mond. So if they can get a quarterback that is as good, if not better, honestly, if they get a guy that's better than Kellen Mond, I think they could really scare Alabama. I I was never a huge fan of Kellen Mond. I I, I thought either. that he was a horrible decision maker, but you know he he did what he what he had to do. He he, he was good for for that system for the time being. I think. Wait, what you said is right on the money. If they can get a quarterback that is as good or even better than Kellen Mond, Texas A&M is going to be scary. I think so too. I actually do, and I think I might be wrong here, so forgive me if I am. But I, I think that A&M gets Alabama at home this year too. So Ooh. that could be that's a that's a sneaky pick to win the SEC West. Ooh. When I was doing my picks earlier on the year, uh, my early early college football picks before I get to my early college football picks in July. Texas A&M was they I was very tempted to pick them as my SEC team out of the West, out of the West, but I just think Alabama after watching their spring game and watching Bryce Young and all those freshman receiver receivers go off and then they got the guy the linebacker from Tennessee and their defense is going to be really good next year too. It's just hard. It's hard to pick anybody to beat Alabama. My 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 early uh upset of the year. I'm picking it right now. Texas A&M is going to beat Alabama. I have I picked that too. I have AM beating Alabama, but I have AM losing two games after that. Matt Matt will will not want to hear this, but but he he's gonna hear it no. loud and clear. Texas AM yeah, is going cool. to be Alabama. I hope they do. It would be really I, cool. I hope they do too. But I'm I'm just but in terms of speaking like, you know, in in what Alabama is returning this year, they have a young quarterback, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be lots of growing pains. And I think if if you're right about that, they have to go into college station. If they have to go play at it's College Station, Texas. It's going to be rough. I think so, too. I mean, could you imagine? Hold on. Let's look at the schedule right now because because we're talking about it. Could you imagine going into that game? It's probably like week six or seven. Texas A&M is 6-0 and or 7-0. and Alabama 6-0 and or 7-0. and They're both going to be top five teams. Night game? Night game. It's going to be a night game in College Station. Probably 3-30 game. Stands. I mean, if you... If you look at rankings for top stadiums to play in or toughest places to play, A and M is top ten. Oh yeah, that's a big, that's a huge game. Oh huge yeah, huge game. game. So that huge, that's huge what I'm game saying. with is if, playoff implications. It's gonna come down. It's gonna come down to how good their quarterback is, though. That's yeah. honestly what's gonna. It's just, it's the same for Alabama too, though. Yeah. If Bryce Young is what he's supposed to be, yeah, they play at A and M October ninth. Mm. October ninth. Week six. Week six. So two it's probably gonna there's a good, good, good chance it's two five and zero football teams. Unless Miami somehow upsets Alabama, which I don't see happening. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. Two that's gonna be a good that's gonna be a fun game to watch. That's gonna be a really fun that's game gonna to be watch. Something. I, man, I think it's oh. gonna be at least close. Woo. Got me excited for some college football. Man, that's gonna be that's gonna oh, be me awesome. Too. Me that's too. gonna be awesome. We're right at the halfway point. We're right at the halfway point. Yeah. But um let's go ahead and get into our next question. This one's from Chad. He's got the next two. 
Um, this one is about college football, but not real college football. It's about one of my favorite shows, Blue Mountain State. Who's a better quarterback, Alex Moran or Radon Randall? Radon so Randall is a better quarterback, easily. Oh, absolutely. He's got the talent. He's got the build. He's got the arm. The only thing Radon did wrong is he put all that money on his arm, and he had all the school come after him. Because he, well, he had like what? I think he had like a million dollars taped to his arm one game, and then they came and broke his arm, so Alex had to come in and play. Alex Moran's a career backup. On purpose. On purpose. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. This is a college football question as well. Who out of the longest tenured college football coaches is most likely to retire next? That's a tough one. Not Nick Saban, that's for sure. Not after that deal. See, for me, I'm looking at the two oldest coach coaches right now. I'm pretty sure it's Saban and Mac Brown. Now, unless you count Arizona State's head coach, because he's going to get fired. I don't really count that. Wait, why? Why do you think Herm Edwards is going to get fired? He's 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 literally coaching Arizona State. What what more do you expect? They have like a billion violations right now. They're getting oh. eaten up by the NCAA. Ah, oh, well, hey, yeah, out the door. Back to ESPN for you. Yeah, he he's not going to be coaching for a while, probably after this year. I think. I mean, Mac Brown just got hired at UNC too. I just can't see Mac Brown being there longer than Nick Saban, though. I think it's Nick Saban. I think he's going to be the next. I don't think he's going to be the next coach to retire, but I think he's the, if we're talking about long tenured college football coaches that have been around for a while, I just don't see, I just don't know who else it would be. You know, that's that's a tough question for me because I don't really know who's old in college football in terms of coaches. I don't really. I mean, Dan Snyder was the one that everybody would, th- would think of. Bill Snyder, not Dan Snyder. This is not iCarly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the creator of iCarly. <laughs> Yeah, what the hell, I mean, man? Snyder, <laughs> I mean, Bill Snyder's the one most would think of, but I mean, he's already retired. Yeah, Dan Snyder, so. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, either way, I mean, I think it. I think it has to be Nick Saban. I mean, Nick Saban. Okay, Nick Saban should have freaking retired already. That man has. He's already proven he's the greatest. He's the greatest coach of all time. He's won more national championships than any coach ever. What more do you need to do? Is he literally just coaching just to piss me off? Because it seems like he is. Wait, I, I, I think you're speaking from your ass. I'm speaking out of my ass. You're being a, a bitter Georgia fan right now. You're just mad. Listen, I mean, it's just absolute crap. Look, you know, I mean, he's, it's honestly self, it's selfish on his part as well. I mean, he's got a family. He's getting old. We want him to spend time with his family. He lives on the lake. He's got some beautiful, beautiful children. He needs to spend time with them. And he needs he needs to just get away from college football. You can tell it's really stressful on him, too. Take back everything I just said about Nick Saban. The next head coach to retire is going to be David Cutcliffe if he doesn't get fired first. Because he's been around. I mean, he's old. He's been around forever. He was the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning when he was there. I mean, it's it's time for him. It's time for him. To, he should have retired a, a while ago also. But he he's going to be the next guy to retire for sure. If we're talking about long-tenured head coaches. I agree. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into our pour one out, cut them off segment. Uh, this week, we got no Matt, but Lando, are you pouring one out first? Uh, this week, I'm cutting off that referee uh, that was in the way when Trey Young uh, uh, shot that ball, and Trey Young stepped on his on his foot, and it just, just ruined that whole entire game for, for the Hawks. I'm cutting off that referee. Like, man, no, 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 your surroundings. Get out the way. There is a superstar standing in front of you. You don't need to be that close to Trey Young. As a matter of fact, you don't need to be close to him at all. Go, go, go in the stands and, and watch the game from the stands, cause, cause you're you're ruining everything for the for us Hawks fans, man. You're just ruining it. So cutting off that referee. 
And uh, this week I'm pouring one out for NASCAR having another successful weekend. Uh, th- uh, this is the second year in a row that they've done the doubleheader at Pocono, which is normally a snooze fest of a race. But uh, NASCAR has noticed this and decided to do one race on Saturday and the other race on Sunday and just cut the mileage of the race in half. And the turnout was awesome. Uh, I think uh, they said that they had the most campers in the infield that has ever been at that track. So uh, awesome turnout for NASCAR. I think uh, they're heading in the right direction. So wit. That uh, that actually goes right with my cut them off. So I'm going to do my cut them off first. I'm actually going to cut off myself for wanting to watch the NASCAR race this weekend, thinking it was on Sunday. Real, realized later that they raced on Saturday, saw that they raced on Saturday, thought they weren't racing on Sunday, so I missed both races because I thought I missed the one because I thought they only raced on Saturday, and then I didn't think they were going to race on Sunday, and I literally sat here all day Sunday, and I was like, man, I am not doing anything. The, the Hawks play later on tonight, but I'm literally not doing anything until the Hawks play. I would love to have NASCAR on my TV right now and get to watch a race, so I actually ended up, I had, they was on YouTube, so I watched the race from Saturday. Um, on my phone like late late sunday night like right before i went to bed i didn't watch the whole thing i just kind of watched the last couple laps he's hooked no i'm I'm, I'm not hooked but i'm getting there i need to i need to get once i get more into it i I honestly probably will be i did a lot i've been doing some reading up on like some of the teams and stuff and whatnot too so it's uh it's pretty interesting but um, i'm gonna be pouring one out for cam reddish Um, we talked about him in our interview with christian he has really come on since they finally put him back in games. He's been fantastic on defense. He scored, I think he's been in two games so far, and he scored 11, and then he scored, um, I think it was 15 last night against the Bucks. He was really big uh, with Trey Young not being there. So hopefully he keeps playing. We really need him to stay on Chris Middleton because he did a really good job covering him last night. Um, and I think he's going to be huge for the Hawks going forward in the postseason. Keys, who are you pouring out for? So I'm going to continue with that and continue with us being a terrible bias podcast. And we're going to go with pouring out for the Hawks um, just in general. Just really good. Win. We're a Hawks. We're a Hawks podcast. We're a Hawks podcast. Let's bi- be it's honest. Not, it's guys. not biased. We just had a Hawks interview, Hawks podcast. They had a really great team win without Trey Young last game in game four. Um, really looking forward to game five. Uh, even if Trey Young doesn't play, I'm still pretty optimistic, especially with Giannis being out. So pouring one out for the Hawks really – really taken home for the ATL. And I'm going to be cutting off nice. the woman who interrupted the Tour de France. I'm not sure if you guys saw this. Oh, my God. Uh, there was a woman with a cardboard uh, sign. She was trying to get on camera and like have people read her sign. I didn't translate it. I'm not sure if it was like a political statement or not. I'm not sure what it was. But she ended up leaning out into the, into the bike path and caused a massive pileup. A couple of the bikers got through, and I'm sure they really appreciated that. But... Massive pileup, not too, I don't think there was any serious injuries, but there was like some, um, some swelling and, and, and bruising. And I know there's a couple of broken bikes, but just spectators, man, this year with basketball spitting on fans and getting in the way of the the bikers, the spectators are getting out of control. They need to kind of stay back a little bit. So she's cut off for ruining the Tour de France. So I, I watched a clip of, of that, of what happened. And so this lady leans out with this sign and clips the i think it was like the third biker in line of a huge monsoon of bikers i mean it it was just a whole mess of bikers and takes all of them out only two bikers make make it out of the whole mess and, and they were like looking behind like holy crap i'm glad i didn't get caught in that crap but it takes off the entire it, it was just a, 
like a huge pileup of bikers. It was it was awesome to look at, but I also felt really bad because that lady sh- should not have been that close to, to to where the bikers were. Can I just say I've honestly always thought that about the Tour de France. I'm like, why are you letting spectators get so close to these bikers? Because they're always like, if you're on the outer ends. And this is how it always is. Even, I mean, obviously that guy literally just stood out right in the middle of the track and was holding up a sign trying to get on TV. But every single year, if you go back and watch film, the bikers that are on the ends are like, like almost a hand length from the spectators. Like it's absurd. I don't get why they do that. I mean, I think they should just space people out a little bit more. Maybe find somewhere, some way to put bleachers up around the track and just have people like kind of sit or whatever. Because obviously bleachers. you're not gonna be able to walk. You're not gonna be able to walk and keep up with these guys. Bleachers, but bleachers, but bleachers in the mountains. You're gonna put bleachers yeah. in the mountains. Hey, I've seen people do crazier things before. This is not F1. It's the Tour de France. Yeah, the whole France. Oh, <laughs> please. Come yeah, on. Yeah, You're not bleachers? Getting, what, 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 a horrible, what, what a horrible idea. Gonna, uh, let's, 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 let's put bleachers all around France. Okay. Even okay. in the Alps, right, we're going right, to put bleachers. Right. Golly. <laughs> bleachers? God. That's, that's, I mean, how about, how about rope? You know, that, I think I think that's a more feasible, <laughs> more feasible idea. Let's let, let's, let's put gonna rope. Do? It, it's actually thing that the yellow line's going to do. That all right, I, uh, it, it, it it'll serve as a small barrier. Don't pass this rope. How about that? Better than bleachers. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can. Don't forget to check out our merch store at aroundthekeg.com. You can pick up an ATK shirt, hoodie, tumbler, or any one of our other items. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you.